We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we uh, had a conversation, one of the first conversations of really digging into the rotation. And one of the points that we ended on, we continued uh, after the pod. And Darius went on an impassioned monologue about how we need a forward. And I think this is something that we all agree with, is that the Lakers are short of forward. And so this is one of those places that I kind of want to focus on for a little bit, because I think it's one of the biggest weaknesses of the team is that we're thin at the forward position, which is remarkable for a team that has LeBron and Anthony Davis starting at their forward positions. And so that has gotten me to thinking uh, and ties into something else with us acquiring the two bigs that we have. We talked about possibly Damian Jones starting. We've talked a lot about Thomas Bryant. And so within this, if both of them play, that moves AD back to a forward position. And in looking at this roster, one of the big needs that I think we have is a wing type of forward, right? And what I mean by that is a guy who can be an inside-outside type of guy. And that is something that when AD is at his best, D, is – That's who Anthony Davis is. He's one of the best in the league at being dominant, both on the perimeter. And I mean, you know, mid-range, right? He's an okay three-point shooter, at least in previous years, right? Not last year. But I think we need him to do more forward things this season as a function of the roster and the guys that we have around him. And so I think this year very much portends to him moving back to being that type of player and possibly even more perimeter oriented than, than before. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that D because you have very much pointed that out, right? Like that uh, we need a forward and I think you're spot on with that. And I think all of that uh, indicates that Anthony Davis is the guy that we need to fill that. Yeah. I, I mean, both LeBron and AD really, I think, AD in particular, we've highlighted this several times over the course of the offseason. Anthony Davis is the key to the season in a lot of ways, and his versatility and his ability to exploit matchups, particularly when he's playing the forward position, is, is critical, I think. We often talk about AD as being best when he's playing center, and that's a true yes and no. To me, 
the people who advocate, oh, well, Anthony Davis is a center. He should play 80% of his minutes at center. I don't know which Anthony Davis they've been watching, honestly. The AD that plays a mix of both positions, the AD that punishes typical forwards who try to defend him, um, the guy who has enough range defensively to play out on the perimeter and defend some of the better stretch forwards around the league, the, the better stretch fours, while also then taking them to spots on the floor when he's on on offense that they will have trouble defending. He is one of the more unique players in the league to turn that guy into a center full time, I think, is a mistake. And it's a mistake that I think the Lakers whether it's because, Mike, the value at the free agency position led them to a place where you could sign centers at the minimum that were going to be higher level contributors than you can find on the wing or on the perimeter. Like, I think that's part of it. But I think the other part of it is unlocking something in Anthony Davis and I think to a certain extent LeBron James that is going to be super important to leverage their wing abilities to make up for the fact that typical wings, guys that you would pay who aren't max level players, make a lot of money and the Lakers simply don't and didn't have the means to sign those types of guys. So pushing LeBron back to small forward more or pushing Anthony Davis to power forward more might not be best for them individually over the course of like a full 48 minute game because they'll have to defend maybe more like in more difficult spots or have to rely on their jumpers in ways that you that as fans we may not necessarily like because their shooting percentage may will may dip but that's where the value in the league is and they're good enough to still be dominant players at those spots so I may have contradicted myself a little bit there but I do think Anthony Davis playing more forward and doing it at a high level is super critical to this version of the Lakers. I'm with you for sure. And I think that this goes back to the reshaping of the roster, right, from the 1920 team, where in a lot of ways you're you're shipping out wings and two-way players in some sense for guards. And so first it was Danny Green for shooter in the in the first, and then of course it was the Russ trade. So out goes Danny Green and Kuzma and KCP. Um, Harold's in that trade as well. And then into that comes essentially Westbrook's salary slot. They also lost Markeith Morris. So I just wanted to add him as yeah. well, because he's another forward type that fit well between LeBron and AD and did forward type things. And so when you look at what the free agency availability was, there there just were not a lot of guys in this year specifically. And most years, some of that has changed too, because I think a lot of teams have just realized, right, the importance of that size, maybe even greater uh, than than was before. And so when you looked at this summer there, particularly with the tools that the Lakers had, we talked about it. There just weren't that many guys even available that had that additional size on the wing and certainly not for what the salary structures that the Lakers had. So we've talked about that. So fast forward to right now and yesterday's conversation when we're thinking about the lineup and the rotation. And this for me is part of the reason why uh, take all of the politics aside and just looking at fit. Like if you start a backcourt of Beverly and Nunn, and then you've got you can for sure start Damian Jones, say at center and AD at the four and then come off the bench with Westbrook 
and in, in essentially like playing, you know, Thomas Bryant, Toscano Anderson, just be bigger. Pete talked about the size there. Um, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. be curious, Pete, if you if you agree with any of the notion of this, just basketball fit wise, because you need LeBron and AD to be playing more of those spots based on what the rest of the roster is. And I I don't know if there's a guy that you can sign off the street right now that's going to come in and play that spot, especially in a minimum. And maybe I should talk about Wendell Gabriel a little more. Like maybe he's maybe just he's grown that. some. You know, maybe he's sure. grown some this offseason. Maybe you need to play him some at the four. Um, maybe we'll see about Cole Swider. Like maybe those are names that we should be talking about more than the backcourt names. But you know, that's that's part of where I'm getting at is if you you can start that smaller backcourt, then you get the shooting right. You still get the defense that Beverly gives you. Then you're big in the front court, and that at least you know mitigates what that forward rotation is as you go through the rest of the game. I think what you do in the backcourt can mitigate that a little bit, right? And if, if Russ comes off of the bench, then yeah, you do got some of that size in the backcourt that that helps in that respect. But it only goes so far, right? He is still a guard. He's a guard yeah, that can he's still not guard a forward. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, exactly, right? So so it and that with that kind of exodus of those D and three type of wings, the teams that are built. To me, there are two like major builds in the NBA. There are the teams that are the the all wing teams, right? They've got like eight or nine guys on the team that are wings, and they Raptors, play some covers. Uh huh. The Celtics are a team that that's similar to this, right? Uh, and teams that have very distinctive like guard forward big type of setup. And I think we're more of that now than we were in the 2020 season for sure, where, where I think that we had some of those bigs, but when it came down to crunch time, it was a lot of like two way wing type of guys. And so there are, there are different ways to, to get to where you want to go. And with respect to Anthony Davis and him playing more of the forward spot is I, I want to talk about, within this offense guys and when you play a lot of two big lineups which i think we will if we consider ad one of those bigs the two places that you normally station them in this style of four out offense is the dunker spot that's usually your five but then the other big is usually opposite of that in the other slot right so you've got kind of your main point guard in one slot and then you've got one of the bigs when when you play two big lineups if it's a one big lineup you've got your two best drivers up top but in a two big lineup so you're talking LeBron and AD right in the middle of the floor, D. This is something that, you know, this AD in the center of the frame from a, I, I think in a very literal sense, that is somewhere he's going to be operating a lot this season is in the middle of the floor. And one of the things that I'm excited about with all of the buzz about none and him potentially starting. And remember, he was the guy I wanted to start last year. I didn't think would start. I thought it'd be Bayes, but he was a guy I really liked uh, in uh, potentially starting. Part of it's because he's left-handed. So one of the things I see a lot of this year is AD in that right slot, and that's handoffs and fake handoffs with none, turning that corner to get downhill, right? And and so that playmaking and that like having the ball in AD's hands at the top of the key is what I want to get to, D. We've seen him a lot in the post, and he still will be to some extent, I think, this year. But I think he's going to have the ball in his hands in the middle of the floor and more of that he did this with the Pelicans quite a bit as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on just moving AD from down low to kind of perimeter in the middle of the floor. I'm interested to see how that works because Frank Vogel really catered his offense to what his players liked to do offensively. And LeBron and AD liked to play on certain spots of the floor. And I remember mm. I watched, um, and I can't remember his actual name, and I feel bad about this, but Half Court Hoops. 
is a great follow on uh, Twitter. Um, and uh, um, Gibson Piper, yeah. Yes. And Coach Piper. I, I remember I watched like a 90-minute video that he put out in the aftermath He's of amazing. the Lakers hiring Frank Vogel. And he basically had Frank Vogel's playbook in video form on YouTube. And I was just like, oh, great. I'm going to eat this up. Right. And mm-hmm. so I'm watching him break down plays and actions and repetitive plays, too. Right. It's just like, here's another here's another example. And here's another example of plays that he ran for David West and how now he's in Orlando and those plays are being run for uh, Vucevic and how he's doing these plays for Aaron Gordon or DJ Augustine. And these are the same plays he ran for George Hill and Paul George. And it's on and on and on. And I'm just like, okay, well, how do I see this working for LeBron James? Or how do I see this working for for Anthony Davis? And I was starting to get a sense of like, oh, the Lakers offense is going to look look like this. Like, look, oh, screen the screener and screen again. And here's a guy rolling to the strong side post. And you know what, Pete? None of that shit was there. Like I or a fraction of it was, I should say, like they didn't Mm. do a lot of that same stuff that Vogel had done in in previous places. And you know why? It's because when you have a LeBron James led team, you run some version of the LeBron offense. Right. Which is like, okay, well, LeBron's great on the right block or the left block. We're going to post him there. Oh, we're going to run some pick and rolls. We're going to do this, this, that, the other. But this is what the offense is now. And there were a few pet actions that the Lakers like to run. And that was that. So I'm very interested to see what Darvin Ham does and how flexible he is within the context of, I want to run a four out offense. And this is, these are the principles of that. And I want to see what that looks like. And if you're starting a guy like Damian Jones, the instinct is to say, Damian Jones is going to be my one in, right? Four out, one in, Damian Jones, you're in the dunker spot. You're my guy. But I'm very interested to see if that's how it actually goes. And and so I don't, I know I didn't say anything about like, hey, I'm interested in where AD is going to be and him operating from, from the middle of the floor. And so am I. But my instinct tells me Anthony Davis has loved to operate right there in the mid post. Like for the majority of his career, despite that he's been at different spots on the floor, he has operated from there the most. And so from the middle of the floor, I do think he can sort of have this Dirk like gravity as a not necessarily as a shooter, but operating from those same spots and be like, okay, well, I'm going to turn and face a lot. I can drive. I can attack from here. I can dribble into post ups a la Giannis. I can do a lot of stuff because I'm Anthony Davis. But I also think there's going to be plenty of times where it's actually Damian Jones who is spaced to, to the corner or it's Thomas Bryant who is, who is in opposite slot. And it's A.D. who is in the dunker spot because they're going to run post ups sure. for him. Right. And so I do see while I get while I see what you're getting at, too, I'm interested if that's how it plays out the majority of the time, because over the two seasons that Anthony Davis has been in Los Angeles or three seasons now. And what I saw from him in New Orleans, there's still a lot of I'm going to post up, especially when he's playing power forward versus when he's playing the center spot. I'm not sure if you see it differently than that, though, Mike. Well, there's almost two things here. And the first one for me is that Darvin's four out and one in the biggest push for that is the transition push and just kind of setting up into the spots. 
And, yeah. and, you know, that's an order. A lot of this has to do with Giannis and how they did it in Milwaukee, where you're trying to deter the defense from being able to build that proverbial wall that teams like to do that, that they probably got in part from watching how teams schemed against LeBron and how LeBron used to smack Atlanta um, easily, right. Uh, whenever he wanted to. And so that, that I think is part of the concept. If, if we have two guys immediately sprint to the corners and then the other guys, and then one guy takes the, takes the, um, a defender that has to go towards the rim, right. Then the defense is going to have to do some shuffling to get organized to the point where they want to actually do something. And so AD, well, all right, I'll get to AD in a little bit. Cause I have a thought on his face up game and, but Pete, I want to kick this one to you first about the four out one in, because is that what you see with that offense? And then, after that initial push, doesn't that then allow for LeBron or AD to initiate more and to kind of just basically LeBron to do what he wants to get a shot and to doesn't that flow out of that in a sense? It does. And there are going to be a lot of times where AD's in that dunker spot because he's going to be the perimeter defender as opposed to Jones. Like think of it, that transition from defense to office. Defense is uh, Jones is going to be oftentimes our pick and roll hedge guy. The point being, he's going to be around the basket more, whereas AD is going to be more on the perimeter. So once we secure the rebound, AD's got a head start. Remember all those rim runs from the championship season, man, where he'd just go down there, LeBron, and throw it up, and he'd have that you know, against some small dude that really had no chance and it was either a layup or an and one. Yeah, it's because he's closing out on a shooter. And it was one of the values of AD being a switch player as well is that, oh, you're going to shoot a three and I'm the closeout Mm -hmm. guy. Well, guess what? I'm closing out and then I'm running right into my transition layup, right? And because you have bigs back there who can rebound, you feel comfortable running out that way. That's exactly right. And so in transition, that's part of that pressure that you're talking about, Mike, is that like you got to cover for AD. You got to probably send a second guy to to squeeze him against a lot of those guards that have back responsibility in transition. It's just a, a natural mismatch. And then if they do that, which most of the time they will, then you've got Damian Jones in that spot. That's the thing about that is that those big spots are interchangeable. And what that leads into, just a quick drag screen with LeBron in the middle of the floor. And we saw that in like the LeBron Jones pick and roll two years ago in that small little stretch was just devastating because LeBron's going to make that read, you know, like every single time. And Jones has just such great vertical spacing and vertical gravity that that it matters a lot. But let's take a quick break, Mike. I want it to be a real quick give and go with you because I want to hear your thoughts about AD's face up game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The posting up that Darius is talking about and the facing up that you're talking about, I think these are important things because Darius is right in that AD is going to post up. I think it's going to be at the elbow a lot more than it's been in the low post in the past. And that's where the face up game really comes into play. So talk to me, Mike. What's on your mind on that front? Well, I'm just conflicted on this because AD is he's got so many different skills, but the AD that is not as enjoyable sometimes to watch is the one that faces up and says, well, I could always just shoot this jumper. You know, they're going to give it to me. I can. It's a it's a clean look, right? Nobody's really even contesting it. They're sort of like, go ahead. And then that's what he does in the first quarter. It's like, all right, if it goes in or not, well, let's try another one. And it's it's the opposite of like that first game that I always point to is that early AD in 19 Memphis game where he just started attacking and going to the rim over and over and over. And there's nothing that they could do about it. And I think he drew like 15 a, fouls that game, Mike. I think he, he had like 28 free throws that game. Yeah, yeah literally. Yeah. I think he drew like 15 <laughs> or 16 fouls. Yeah, and yeah. the Grizzlies are just looking around like, what, well, coach, what do you want us to do? I mean, would, do you want us to just let him dunk? Because otherwise we're going to foul him and he's going to make all his free throws. And so this is the – he's not Kobe Bryant in terms of his aggression, right? On And not that Kobe wouldn't settle for some jump shots here or there. But it's just that's the part where – I don't know the mindset for sure that AD is coming in with. I don't know the cocks that he's going to be have with Darvin. I don't know how that fits in, but I'm, that's the thing that I'm always a little bit wary of. If you just give him the ball and say, face up and go attack. Whereas if you put him in certain positions where it's kind of encouraging him to attack in the way that the flow of the offense is. And, uh, and that's where I, I need you guys to, uh, to give me the X's and O's on that. Cause I know he's got the skills to do anything that he wants, but I'm always of the mind that if you can encourage him in a way um, to to be aggressive by the sets that you're running and the spacing that you're yep. giving him, that would be preferable. Strongly agree. I also think it's not even just the sets. It's his teammates being in his ear like this is this is how you need to play. This is what what it is like. One of the hallmarks of that championship season was. Very early on, it was DeMarcus Cousins and Rajon Rondo. And then after that, it was a lot of Rondo, a lot of Jared Dudley, a lot of those guys just telling him, like, no, man, like, go be the MVP. Eat, 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 right? And while we're talking about this a lot within the context of the half court, Pete, I tend to think that what you really want, where where this is most evident to me isn't the settling for jump shots it's how hard is he running the floor right because when 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 ad is being super aggressive offensively it's not just he's putting his head down to drive a lot it's that he is beating people up and down the court and he is getting baskets in transition and that then fuels the half court aggression much more right and and so 
This is where I think Ham truly stressing transition opportunities is super important for Anthony Davis as well, because Damian Jones is going to run. He is going to fill that middle lane. And and I think that's something the Lakers really missed after they lost Mm -hmm. JaVale is JaVale really ran and busted his tail down the middle lane in order to occupy defenders and try to get easy, easy baskets. All of JaVale's points basically came off of putbacks from offensive rebounds and running the floor, right? The Lakers would feed him in the post a couple of times and he'd do that, that JaVale thing with the fake handoff. Oh, let me dribble into a hook shot type stuff. And mm-hmm. that was fine. It, it kept JaVale happy and, and it, it enabled some of the competitiveness to come out defensively that you really want. And that's what you do for big guys. Just, just, just like Shaq said, you want the big dog to guard the house? Well, then feed the big dog. For AD, I'm looking at this more of he's going to get his half-court touches regardless. So what I'm looking for is, is he going to be a willing transition player? And is he going, going to run? And that's the thing I'm looking at most with LeBron as well. Because when LeBron and AD are both hunting transition opportunities, the Lakers are going to be a really, really difficult team to beat, right? Because... They are going to put pressure on the defense in ways that even though that's the plan in the half court, too, it's just harder to continuously attack the basket against a sag defense. And and we talked about this a ton last year. The defense is going to be even more packed in the paint whenever Russ is on the floor with them as well. And so getting out in in transition is even more crucial than and AD is going to have to race the floor, Pete. And, and I think that that's a key part of this as well. That's certainly the case, and there's a reason why Darvin's really emphasized that. But even in the best case scenario of us pursuing transition opportunities, you're still talking about 80% of our possessions being in half court, even if we do that as well as we can. And so Mike's concern about that stagnance and that kind of that stationary AD is the easiest AD to guard. And that's one of the reasons why, from an X's and O's perspective, Mike, if he's in that right slot, and so right being if you're facing the basket from standing at half court, if he's in that right slot, the the idea from one of those positions is that you've got three options. You've got uh, action with the guy to your left, who's going to be LeBron, most likely, in the starting lineup. And that can be a handoff, kickback, basically a pick and roll, mi- middle pick and roll with LeBron and AD. Um, you've got that handoff with none uh, in the right corner. And you've got a potential ball screen, a, a four five ball screen of AD and Jones coming up because that five, that one in is always, he doesn't stay down there. A lot of times he's coming up to set a ball screen for someone. And so the running theme throughout that, Mike, that I think is a key to this is to give AD fewer stationary touches because when he's really a handful is when he's on the move and he's so bendy and has such a great variety of shots and floaters and like, oh, I'm just going to go over the top of you. And that's when he's really drawing fouls. And so I'm hoping that we're still going to post him up and there's still going to be you know versions of that. But when we do, it's first off, I think it's going to be less frequent because you have more handoff and kind of on the move move opportunities in this type of offense. But then when we do post him up, there are ways to post him up at the elbow in that face-up game where you have it spaced, where it's like a very a one-on-one with spacing type of option. And I think he's even a better passer out of that than out of the post. So it's not something that I think ever goes away. And a big part of it is just AD's aggression level. And that's 
up to AD in a lot of ways. But I think that there that to answer your question, Mike, is how you kind of mitigate against that stagnance is just get him more touches on the movement. I think that you get better free throw attempts and all of that. Totally agree. And to return to, I think, the first point, that's also to me where the lineup comes into play. And if you don't mm-hmm. if you don't have a shooting center that's spaced out and that's when you really need both guards to be able to shoot. Uh, if if you're going to give any kind of space for operation and for room uh, for AD mm-hmm. there. And so I don't I know the coaches have already been meeting. Right. And, and they I think they had a little retreat um, at a certain point. So they've probably been already going over all this stuff. But that's that's the part that's going to be curious to me is what we saw last year and the film that I'm sure that they're watching of last year and like what the spacing is. You know, how do they account for that? And and that's that's again, that's not necessarily uh, a, a critique even of Westbrook, other than that the shooting wasn't happening. Uh, and so if you're going to because of the lack of other wings and you if you have to play more of centers, right, then how can you play? How can you play like Russ and Beverly, who's who can shoot, but isn't going to be respected in the way that right. none is probably right. Uh, and then also play like a Damian Jones alongside AD and LeBron. So it's just a that's that's a math problem. It's a strong argument for Russ coming off the bench from a basketball perspective. Yeah. It is. I also am skeptical that Russ is going to start the season coming off of the bench. So what I'm most interested in, and I have a piece coming out in the next few days, I think, where I talk about reasonable expectations for Russell Westbrook this season. And I don't want to turn this pod into a Russ discussion, but AD and Jones are going to be critical in the success of Russ because they are two viable pick-and-roll partners who will get downhill in ways that Russ simply did not see a lot of last season in his partnerships with Dwight and DeAndre Jordan. And this is another critical part of, I think, of of AD success, Pete. And and Mike, when you spoke to, um, and Pete, you, you talked about this as well, AD's penchant to float around a little bit and settle some. To me, one of the places that shows up most is in the pick and roll game because he loves right. to pick and then float to the mid-range rather than pop with real effort to behind the arc or roll to get downhill hard to be a lob threat. And yeah, it's a pick and stand a lot of times. Yeah, exactly. And so this is another critical part of where AD is going to be important to the Lakers offense and where he's also going to be super important to Russell Westbrook, right? Because when, and it's the same with LeBron, except with LeBron, teams like... Teams will switch that more naturally, and so that then yep. flows more into a post-up opportunity for either LeBron or AD, or AD just then will will roll, but then he'll roll and drift to the corner, right, in order to set up an isolation for LeBron. One of the things I like about a potential AD none two man game is that the guy who's guarding none probably can't guard AD and vice versa. And yes. whereas with LeBron, you're talking about more similar size players where it really makes sense to switch. So it puts just a, a little more pressure on the defense there. Yeah. And I think second side actions are going to be super important for the Lakers yeah. this year in general. Yeah. Right. And putting Russ and LeBron on on uh, the same side side of the floor and then none in AD potentially on on the opposite side of the floor creates interesting synergy for two man actions on both sides of the floor. And then even when those guys swap, mm-hmm. 
It's like, okay, well, then you can you can put LeBron and AD on the same side and then you can put Russ and Jones and Russ and Jones can be a viable pick and roll partnership as well. We've seen how Russ can play with a high energy big. Just go back and watch some of his tape with Daniel Gafford with Washington in the the second half of his lone season with the Wizards, for examples of what that can look like at peak level efficiency. Right. And and I'm not sure how much chemistry will uh, develop there or not. One thing I wanted to pivot to, though, is we've talked about A.D. being a wing player, potentially more from an offensive perspective, catching the ball in the middle of the court (laughs) and this, this, that and the other. Right. And I think that that's super important. But if the Lakers are going to be a good basketball team this year, they're going to have to defend. And where the Lakers are weak defensively is on the wing defensively. They simply do not have a lot of size there. Their best wing defender right now is Patrick Beverly, who is small. And their next best wing defender probably projects to be LeBron James, who is aging. <laughs> right. And, and so, Mike, you've talked a ton about not exposing LeBron to the types of minutes and matchups defensively where the ask of him is too high. And Pete, you've talked a lot about Anthony Davis being that next wing up in terms of being the guy who is going to take some of the bigger wing defensive yep. responsibilities, the, the Kawhis, definitely the Giannis's of the world, but maybe even the Durant's of the world, too. And we've seen him do this. He was a primary defensive player against Jimmy Butler in the NBA Finals two seasons ago, for example. So I'm going to put this to you bluntly. Anthony Davis came in bigger and stronger last season, ready to play more center. And those changes in his body, I think, did not allow him to defend wings as effectively as he did Mm -hmm. in the first season that he was with the Lakers. What is your concern level in terms of how those two worlds mesh? Because AD may be in better shape. He may have lost some weight, but as he ages, it's going to be like the way that as Pal Gasol aged, which was like, I'm growing more and more into a center's body. But we're going to continue to ask Anthony Davis to do wing things, particularly defensively. How do you see that gap being bridged between those two things? Well, Darius, you never want to be too obsessed with what somebody else's weight is like in any context, you know, but I'm like, it's like the first time I, (laughs) I see Anthony Davis and I I've gone back and forth. Like some years I'll go in and watch some of the, the workouts, like even leading up to media day. And some days I I won't when I sort of just want to see for myself what the more, what the product is like once it's on the court. And then I haven't decided yet uh, about this year if I'm going to make, like make the request to go in and and check it out a little bit. But the first thing that I'm going to look at is, all right, how's AD moving? Is he a little bit bigger? Is he a little bit smaller? Is he back to like, I think that that is significant. And I feel a little dumb when I say that to myself, because it's, it's just a, it's a snap judgment that doesn't necessarily um, mean that he can't do a certain thing. Like if he is at the same weight as, as he was, because some of that just ends up being aggression and energy, but I, I will maintain my own ideal would be that he, that he dropped back down and worried less about bulking up to bang because uh, with certain guys inside uh, when they could either double if that was really getting to him or just put one of the centers on him more like there's just ways you can scram out of that situation right and there are only so many players that even want to post up that much so i i just uh i pine for the the slightly smaller slightly quicker slightly um, more agile anthony davis beat i do too 
And I, I think that this team is built for that. And not only is it built for that, I think it needs him to be that. Uh, there were positions uh, over the years where he's guarding a Kawhi or an elite. He had Jimmy Butler touches in the finals. He had possessions on Jimmy Butler or games where he was assigned. That was the primary assignment was AD on Butler. And so those perimeter type of wings, those are the guys I don't want LeBron guarding any more than he, than he has to. Uh, and then come playoff time, I think you got 48 minutes of elite defender at, at that spot if you want. I and. Darius, you've watched more of him than I have. It's certainly on uh, just tape. I like JTA as a two through four defender, depending on where he is. I think he's in the league because of his defense, certainly not because of his offense. So I think he's like, okay, but I think AD needs to be that main guy, right? Needs to be that who's the best forward on the team. AD, you got him. Who's the best guard on the team? Pat Bev, you got him. And that's kind of, we had a pot about this a couple of days ago that that's kind of the, the foundation for that. So AD has said, first off, his ask last year was ridiculous for any big. Like all of our other bigs were stunk. So we needed Anthony Davis to do all of our big man things because nobody else could do them competently. And so this year, I, I don't think that's the case. And but if you want to be a wing, you want to be a forward, we should just listen to him all along, by the way. Like everything he said about his game was right. Like, I'll play the five spot, and he still will this year, right? But know thyself, he is, Pete. Know thyself. Man. There's so many things where like I, I'll come to a conclusion or I'll be thinking on something Lakers wise. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, it's didn't, this. Didn't, and then, we, didn't we have this conversation before I was I was coming on the pod all the time, right? About the whole AD position thing. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he he is a five. Right. But he's not a full time five. That's not. And nor is that how he should be used. And so the. This team needs him to be the player that he's always kind of gravitated toward being. And I think that's a good thing in a lot of ways. But I think he's got to step that up, like be able to fight over the top of screens off of the ball. That's how teams attack him when he's playing one of those smaller players is let's run him off of an off ball screen because that's not really what he's done all that often. But ultimately, I think that that's something that what we really need from AD is to step into that wing type of player even more on the defensive end than on offense because we have plenty of guys that can kind of get their own shot on offense but we don't have anybody else that I mean no one has anyone else that can do what AD can do except for a, a team or two but that is really where we need him to shine through more than anywhere else yeah that defensive malleability as a guy who can guard up or down and yeah. if, and do it effectively that's super important to this Lakers team and I still think the Lakers will need a forward. It's just how it goes. I am yeah. interested to see what JTA can can do. Um, but I'm cautious on projecting out how effective sure. that he will be at that. But AD needs to be the player that we know that he is. I think that there's been a lot of downgrading AD because he's been hurt. Mm-hmm. And that being hurt and missing games innately makes you question how good a player actually is because you don't see him be good enough or often enough because he's not playing or when he is playing he's banged up and then his ability seems to like go down and you're like oh well this isn't the dude right but i'm not sure if ad will ever reach the heights that he did when he was playing in the bubble again 
that was a supernova player. And if he does approach those those heights, he can be in the MVP conversation. That's how good and talented Anthony Davis is. But guys, he is a generational player. Period. That's it. And if he plays to the level that he's capable of, not the bubble level, I'm just saying like all NBA level Anthony Davis had existed in in New Orleans and then was looking like he was going to really destroy the Phoenix Suns in the first round of the playoffs two seasons ago before he got hurt, hurt again. That dude is going to be a terror for for the league. And I am very interested in seeing how that develops this season, because if it does the Lakers are going to be better than a lot of teams are giving them credit for. It's just going to happen based off the fact that he is that good. Um, Whether or not he's available and all this other stuff that remains to be seen, but I'm not questioning AD's talent. And and I think that he has the game to be that bridge is sort of where, where I'm at here. And I just want him to remind everyone that he is that dude. I think there's a good chance that AD does a decent amount of reminding uh, health willing as well. So uh, this is fun. It's illuminating kind of going through these conversations and talking through it and kind of landing on these little points. And the forward spot is certainly one of them. We're going to get to to more of them. But uh, before we go, Mike's got one one little thing to say, I think, on b- behalf of all of us. Yeah. So we've just like I think everybody in the NBA community have been thinking about Jonathan Sharks, his family. Of course, he he passed and uh, his his wife and his young child, his young son. And there's a passage that he wrote in a piece uh, a few months ago. And I, I just want to read it because it made me think of something that's, that's Lakers connected in a way. Um, he says, I don't want Jackson, who's his son, to have the same childhood that I did. Uh, me interjecting here, he lost, Sharks lost his father uh, when he was a teenager. I want him to wonder why his dad's friends always come over and shoot hoops with him why they always invite him to their houses, why there are so many of them at his games. I hope that he gets sick of them. One thing I've learned from this experience is that you can't worry about the things that you can't control. I can't control what will happen to me. I don't know how long it will be there for my son. All I can do is make the most of the time that I've left. That means investing in other people so they can be there for him. And I I just remember over the course of really the last couple of years, but watching Pau Gasol kind of just pop up on Vanessa's Instagram feed and thinking about that when I read what Sharks wrote there and like, I just pull one up now and it's just pow, you know, dancing <clears throat> with their youngest daughter, you know, and that's the kind of thing that this just to me, very meaningful and very moving that you see pow making special efforts often uh, to be involved in the lives of Kobe's daughters and to, to let them know, you know, what he felt about their father, I'm sure. And just kind of being there. And I just that I just wanted to kind of shout that out as we think about Sharks and his family uh, and, and see that Powell's already been doing that kind of thing. And if I can just add one one thing to that, Mike, because I think that that sentiment is um, is is beautiful. And and I've always thought that about Powell as well. I just really wanted to send my thoughts to um, to Sharks's family. Um, yeah. Like, I don't want to make this about myself, but I mean, my brother died of cancer. He was 44 when when he passed passed away. Charks is 34. And so losing someone so young and leaving behind a wife and a young child is a challenge, to say the least. And it creates a crater in in that community 
And so many people feel that loss and there is much grieving to to be done around that and and a lot of reflection and a lot of questions and just a lot of feelings that are going to last for a very long time. And and so um I couldn't help but think about myself a little bit and my sister-in-law and 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 my niece when I heard the news about Charks. Um, I'm, 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 I much enjoy Jonathan as, as a writer and as a podcaster yeah. and as just, um, a thinker and, an analyst around the game that we all love and watch. But in reading him and listening to him talk over the last year or so about his, his diagnosis, I was reminded of what it takes and the spirit it takes and is required of someone to, to, live that last part of your life with the grace and dignity and with the power of understanding that he did. And so I'm appreciative of all of that from from him. And I just wanted to, again, send my and all of ours deepest yeah. condolences to to his family, to his wife and 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 to his son and know that there are people who um, support you all of the time and who keep you in their thoughts and prayers all, all of the time, because we definitely are. And th that's the job of the community around him and his family that, that Mike was talking about with, you know, in relation with Powell and Kobe. Um, just, yeah. Deepest condolences to, to the Jarks family. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast and we'll catch you next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound is Lottie. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block shot. An NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Missing. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.